The Courage to Lead, Episode 78. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having a great week. Um, I'm having a great week and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. Please help me welcome Emily Hawkins. Emily Hawkins empowers the unemployed, unfulfilled, and unrecognized to find what they love in their life and put it into their work. Her online courses and individual career coaching are designed to help identify the barriers that are preventing you from knowing and achieving your purpose. Her goal is for no one to ever feel alone in their career. With over 15 years in corporate America, working with budgets, processes, and people, Emily can help you streamline your time, team, and career aspirations to land a new role, a promotion, or completely new venture. Armed with a supply chain degree from the University of Tennessee and a Georgia Tech MBA in global business and a Robbins Medanes Life Coaching Certification, she has helped thousands uncover their potential. Emily, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Harlan. Thank you for having me here. Oh, no, this has been, I've been looking forward to this. This is great. So Robbins Medanes, that is the Tony Robbins, correct? It is the Tony Robbins. And he actually started that with another lady. Her last name is Madonna's. And um, they. it's everything that he teaches at the really the fundamental level. And it's, it's actually an eight month, you can take eight, six to eight months to actually take the course. And I was so immersed in it that I finished it in eight weeks. And it involves taking on clients when you really don't feel ready and um, marketing yourself when you really don't feel ready. And in order to graduate, you actually have to have a transformation. And, um, it was a really exciting transformation. I helped somebody that had not filed their taxes in six years, uh, actually wow. file their taxes and get on payment plans. And, you know, they're actually, they were a business owner as well. Wow. So it was a really great transformation to realize like, you can't just keep putting this off. Yeah. Uh, so the dissertation that I wrote, uh, in order to graduate was that. So it was very cool. Yeah. Very cool. And I I'm sure during that whole process, you learn a lot about yourself too. Oh, every single person, and I know you probably realize this with what you do, that every interaction you have is an opportunity for both of you to learn. It's such a wonderful experience to meet different people because you can have a frame of reference, a teaching style, or in your case, questions that you ask but what you receive is so different from every single person. And one of my favorite things to say is to open up your hands. Anyone that's listening should open up their hands and look at the tips of their fingers, because in doing so, there's no one else on earth that has those fingerprints. You are the only one. And my best friends are actually identical twins and identical twins don't even have the same fingerprints. And so, to me, that's just one little piece of our uniqueness and how every conversation is a chance to learn. Awesome. Well, I'm excited about this conversation. I've been looking forward to this for a while. So we will get into that, get into your training, get into your degrees, get into your background and who you're working with now and how you're helping them. And at some point we'll talk about courage. But before we get started, I do have some questions. Uh, Listeners will know these are the questions that uh, I borrowed from the TV show Inside the Actor's Studio, where host James Lipton asks these same questions of Hollywood stars, stage, film. And I figure if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. So, Emily, if you're ready, I've got 10 questions for you. Question number one, what is your favorite word? Legacy. Nice. What is your least favorite word? Can't. Amen. <laughs> what <laughs> turns you on? <laughs> process improvement. Okay. Nice. What turns you off? Bad (laughs) (laughs) Wi-Fi. Excellent. Um, What sound or noise do you love? A storm. If I'm just crawling in bed at night, this is like the best way to sleep. Nice. And what sound or noise do you hate? A car horn. And I live in Atlanta, so I hear them a lot. (laughs) Constantly. Um, What is your favorite curse word? 
uh, starts with an SH. And I like this word because I, I never like to offend people, but I feel like it can be a pattern interrupt. So it can stop people in their tracks without completely offending people by going down F-bomb trains. Yes. <laughs> um, so I, I really like the S-I-H word is what I will say. <laughs> Perfect. And I love pattern interrupts. So that is excellent. Um, what profession, uh, yeah, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? This is my favorite thing ever. I've thought about this for years. I would be a flower delivery person because literally everyone's happy when they see the flower delivery guy. It could be funeral. It could be anniversary, birthday. I'm sorry. You're never upset when you get flowers. Love it. Very cool. What profession would you not like to do? Uh, for the exact opposite reasons, working at the DMV. Yes. And <laughs> mainly because I love process improvement and they feel like there may be indirect opposition to that. So <laughs> yeah. pretty sure. All right. Finally, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? At a girl. At a girl. Good job. All right, Emily, we will be back in just a minute. We're going to talk about, like I said, your background, how you got started, uh, your time with uh, Robbins Mendanis. Sorry for mis mispronunciation at the beginning. Um, and who you're working with now and how you're, how you're saving the world one person at a time, right? Wonderful. <laughs> we'll, talk, we'll talk about all that right after this, so stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And we are back with my guest, Emily Hawkins. Emily, thanks again for agreeing to be on the podcast. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. Um, so you have a degree in logistics and transportation. How was, how did you pick that? Was that something you just kind of stumbled into or was that a purposeful thing? Uh, I would love to say it was purposeful, except that would be a lie. I, when I was in high school, I took an accounting course, which actually later on in life, I realized it was more bookkeeping and I love numbers. And I just thought, oh, I'm going to be an accountant. That's what I'm going to be. And so many people said, you have too much of a personality to be an accountant. You shouldn't do that. And I was like, nope, this is my plan. This is what I want to do. And first semester of accounting, I got a C and the second semester I got a D mm. do not employ an accountant that gets a D in the first semester, first no. two semesters. It's just probably not going to work out. So I remember just saying, this is so not for me, the debits and credits, woo, not for me. And so my brother was at the same school that I was at, and he was actually majoring in something at the time that was called statistics. Now it's data analytics, but it was very new back then. And um, in order for him to graduate, he had to take a logistics class. And he's like, I just took this class that I think you would love. It's still in the business place. So, you know, your credits will transfer. And I just had this thing that, you know, a degree in business was really the only degree that would work for me. And looking back, that's funny in and of itself, but it led me to a really big passion for me, which was logistics and transportation, which also has been renamed since I was in school to supply chain management. Excellent. And what I loved about it was it gave me the keys to improving anything and everything because it broke down anything in your life. But of course, it was mainly talking about business processes, um, shipments of goods, all the things. I had to write a paper on the, the most efficient way to transport a frozen turkey. Uh, <laughs> and there are lots of different ways you can do it. Um, and that's what was so fascinating to me is it wasn't that there was one answer. It's that there were many answers. It was just how you laid it out, the confidence you had. And your ability to think through that downstream effect. Right. Uh, whereas, you know, I think a lot of us have this boomerang effect that we don't even think about. I got to get this email out. So I'm just going to get it out and I'm not going to worry about how thorough it is. Well, that's a right. boomerang. It's going to come back to you. Mm -hmm. And having that supply chain background, I realized 
that I have to really think about the whole solution and all the people that it affects. And honestly, in my entire life, it was, it was such a key contributor to even what I do today. It's mm -hmm. literally what my business is built on is that supply chain background. Yeah. Getting things from point A to point B, right? Mm -hmm. The most efficient, yes. clean way to do it. Streamlining nice. for success. I'm all about that. Perfect. That's good. And then that led to the MBA at Georgia Tech? Yes. Uh, so I actually graduated. I had a, an amazing teacher that recommended get five years of experience in the business world, then get your MBA. Invaluable because that MBA made so much more sense after working with so many other people. And actually those people in that course, um, I met several friends to this day, still talk to many of the people that I was in that course with or in the coursework with. They were the ones that started telling me I should be a life coach because mm -hmm. what I did was I took all of our courses. We actually every semester had groupings of courses as a team. It was a lockstep program and it drove me crazy that we had different syllabi for each course. And so I combined them and color coded them and then would have dates. Okay, here's a project and here's this. And I would, I started doing it for myself and somebody in the class was like, that is really neat. And I was like, well, I can give it to you. So I just started creating it. And if there were ever any updates, people would be like, go to Emily for the color coded syllabus, the combined syllabus. So I got known for streamlining stuff in, in just that way. And they were like, nice. gosh, you have, I had a study plan and I would share the study plan with people. Again, I was working full time as I was doing this. And so I was trying to literally bleed the time turn up. And the best way to do that was to come up with a plan and people loved it. And so I just kept sharing it. And that's where they were like, you should be a life coach. And my answer was, that is not a real profession. That is not real. Um, you do not do that when you have an MBA and a degree, a business degree. So I, I literally said this for almost 10 years because it kept coming up. It kept showing up for me. Um, yeah. And then how did you pick the uh, Tony Robbins program? There's a lot of programs out there. And uh, you're right. A lot of people look at life coaching, coaching in general. It's not a real profession, right? You could hang a shingle out and say, look, I'm a coach and kind of start helping people if you want. Right. But Tony Robbins, I mean, I've been listening to him since things came in cassette tapes. <laughs> you know, I mean, I've been following him and, and, and the videos and the books and everything like that. Amazing programs and the work that he's done is just amazing. How did you, how did you settle on his program? So uh, when I was in the corporate world and made some amazing blunders and successes and all the things it was the final nail that was in the coffin for me in this whole thing of being a life coach was when my team, the people that were reporting to me actually said, you should be a life coach. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know what? I've been hearing this for 10 years. I need to look into this. And I'm very much a researcher. And so you're right. There are many programs out there. And I actually looked at quite a few. And my main thing was being that business-minded person. I wanted a certification. I wanted to sit for an exam and actually be able to share a certificate with people. Hey, I actually have this certified. And so that was really what it was for me. And I will be honest with you, just for everyone out there, it is not the most expensive and it's not the cheapest. And I think that's a really great lesson in that's not the answer. Don't go with the one that's the most expensive or the cheapest. Go with the one that speaks to you, whatever it is, whether it's a job or if you feel like you need training, or, you know, even when you're starting to date someone, it's not the person that has the most money. Right. Yep. So thank goodness. Really, like <laughs> Exactly. Trust your gut. Yep. And so for me, that was really a, okay, this program has everything that I need. And you actually were able to listen to previous coaching experiences that people had. And that was key to me. And it actually helped me inform my own program. Uh, because I realized that group coaching aspect was so important to people to be able to reference that in the future. Absolutely. Yeah. And his program is, I mean, time tested, you know, like you said, just all the people who have gone through or been, been helped uh, by his programs is just amazing. So now you, you work, you say the unemployed, unfulfilled and the unrecognized. Mm -hmm. Why that segment? Oh, that's so interesting. So when you think about it, 
we talk about top talent and, you know, rock stars and, you know, all those people and that's fine. But what about the, what about those same people 10 years ago? What about those same people 20 years ago? Um, you know, a lot of people don't know that most of those successful people were either on their last dime living in their cars. They had gotten fired. I mean, you know, Walt Disney was fired for not being creative enough. I just yeah. love that, you know, <laughs> and that would have been unrecognized talent. And honestly, that man was so unfulfilled, right? Because if they didn't see his talent, how could he feel fulfilled? And what I also love about the unemployed, the unrecognized and the unfulfilled is they're at this beautiful place where being where they are is no longer acceptable. Mm -hmm. It's time to do something different. And there is no looking back. It's like, you know what? I'm unfulfilled and this is horrible. Let me move forward. And I know that sounds crazy that I'm happy that these people are in pain, but when you're in enough pain that, you know, if you don't change, you know, nothing's going to change if you will. Um, it's amazing what you're willing to do, especially with somebody like myself who is with you the entire process. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the thing that, that struck me. If you're unrecognized, then who's going to care if you try something new or different, if you really step outside the color outside the lines, mm -hmm. nobody knows you anyway, what's it going to hurt, right? What do you have to lose? And I, I like that aspect of it, you know, cause I do know people who are unemployed um, or have been unemployed mm -hmm. and they struggled with it and they don't know how to get past that. Right. How do you, when you're working with people in this, in this area and stuff, how, how do you help them get past that? Oh, what was me kind of feeling? So if you and I were to go to a funeral and it was a friend of ours, a close friend of ours or our spouse, one of our spouses, right? It would be really horrible for me to say, Hey, Harlan, you know what? You just need to get past that. You know, let's just move, let's move forward. What's in the past is in the past. And yet we, we, we would never say that in a funeral. Right. And by the way, we would never say that if you were getting divorced either yeah. and divorce and a funeral they're both death of a dream, of a possibility. And guess what? So is leaving a role, whether you leave on your own or you are let go, it's the death of a dream. So why do we treat that any differently? And so I actually had one of my course members tell me she had gone through several different programs. And she said, what I love about what you do is you carry us all through the grief. You let us know that it's okay. I have a phrase, and I actually think I got this from the military, embrace the suck. Mm -hmm. It's really important, just like at that funeral, just like at that divorce, to take stock and really embrace the suck for just a little bit. Now, you don't live there. We're not, we're not right, building right. a camp. We're right. not, you know, getting some <laughs> property there. We are gonna spend some time there. And one of my favorite things to do, I actually recommended this to a guy uh, last week who was really struggling. I think it's great to write a letter to that bad boss or even that company. You are not sending it to anyone. I want you to write it on paper, light it on fire after you wrote it. Uh, you're never sending it anywhere, right. but writing a letter that gets all of your feelings out. You know, Use expletives if that feels right. Talk about what they took from you. Talk about how they're not going to end you or whatever. Like get really real with those feelings and then again, throw it away because I feel like we're a society where we're getting better about talking about emotions, but still feeling them, leaning into them. I will tell you yeah. in the hardest times in my life, leaning into the hard was so, so difficult and so painful and a lot of tears and the most beautiful outcomes happened on the other side. Yeah. And I just love when somebody asked something like that and he kind of teared up and said that that's what I need to do. And it happened to be, you know, on a Friday and he's like this weekend, I'm going to write that letter and I'm going to throw it away and I'm going to be done with this. And I said, yes. And then building on top of that value because just because I'm going to use an example, Fred, your old boss, Fred, didn't see your value doesn't mean that he is the bearer of all information and somehow knows all the value of all the people. You know, he doesn't. He didn't understand you 
And you know what I would say to Fred? I feel so sorry for him for never understanding the beautiful gifts and talents that you have. That's, that's something that we talk about a lot. You know, I usually say, I'm so sorry that your boss was that, that way, you know, he missed out on those beautiful gifts or she missed out on those beautiful gifts. Nice. So that's where we really start. Um, because it's important. It's almost like starting in the basement, you know, and then building that foundation of what it is you want. And I think a lot of that comes from pain. You know, um, I know that my bad bosses informed me probably better than great bosses, right? Mainly because I had bad bosses before I had great bosses. Maybe that was part of it. But it was like, oh, I know I'm never going to do that to an employee, you know? And when you're in working for a company where they don't value you, you are unrecognized. uh, What I would say is, okay, what's the opposite of that? Think of that. Mm -hmm. And I'm really excited in a few weeks on my own podcast So many of my clients have said to me, I don't even know what a good boss looks like. And I'm actually interviewing one of my favorite bosses that I ever had so that people can actually see and hear what good leadership looks like so they know how to go find it because that's really key. Yeah. So what stood out for you for this great boss? What was it about? Communication. Communication. I'm sure you've read the book, The Five Love Languages. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like acts of service, words of affirmation, all the things, right? Right. Well, in the corporate world, the five love languages, actually, there's one love language and there are five dialects. And the main love language is communication. Mm -hmm. And the dialects can be email, face-to-face. They can be instant messenger, Slack channel, uh, a phone call, Zoom meeting. I mean, there's a thousand different ways of communicating, right? I think if you looked at your phone and you went into the app store, and you put communication, there would probably be thousands of apps that would come up. But you have to understand what level of communication each person needs. And this man had the most beautiful has, he's he's still a leader in the corporate world. I'm just no longer uh, under him, but such a beautiful way of listening to every single person. He did recognize everyone and met them where they were and encouraged, you know, always communicated. I just, I can't tell you how much that informed how I led teams going forward. Um, So really it was his ability to listen, truly listen, and then communicate really effectively and empower me with that communication to say, you've got this, you know, I'm giving you this, go for it, go run it, go do the thing. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And communication is huge. For any leader, uh, but being able to communicate at all the different levels and meeting the person where they need to hear what they need to hear at that moment. Some mm-hmm. people need words of affirmation. Some people need encouragement. Some people need, you know, and to be able to see that, know that and get that message to the person at the right time. That's, that's huge. It is. It is. And I, that, you know, I remember in my corporate journey, I led completely horribly at first, by the way, I could have written a book on like what not to do and it would have had 10,000 steps. It was, I was very bad um, because I thought it would be easy. Ha ha. Um, back to everybody's different. And you need to meet people where they are. Well, I didn't know this at first. Um, I read 26 books over the course of a year, trying to change everyone else and ended up changing myself. But my first litmus test beta group was my actual team. And the first thing I did was, call them into a room and say, redo, we're going to pretend like we are starting at day one. And I noticed, you know, after a few months of us having this powwow, which was amazing, one of my employees was kind of falling off a little bit and bad news has a short shelf life. You know, if you don't nip things in the bud, as soon as you see them happening, it just gets worse because you've just created expectations that that's okay. Um, Again, I learned that when I was a bad leader. And so I knew something was wrong. And so I pulled him on my office and come to find out his uncle had passed away Mm. and he wasn't going to be able to go fly out to see his uncle. And so I said, all right, you know, he's passed away. So you can't be at the funeral. How could we honor him? And so we sat in my office and I think we were in the dark. I don't know why, but we were in the dark and 
I remember us just talking about this amazing man that had shaped this man that I was working with. And he cried. And when I'm around people who cry, like I'm going to cry, it's just part of me. And we just had this memorial for this man. And I did not expect that the next day that this specific person would be working as diligently and as hard as they did, but they did. And it made a huge difference. And, you know, a couple of months later, one of my employees, uh, dog passed away. Doesn't seem like a big deal, but this was this man's life. Mm -hmm. And so we did something very similar. Again, it was just the two of us. It wasn't some grandiose thing. But it was just a moment to share about this special dog, this special uncle. I see your pain and I honor it. And I'm right here in the dark with you. And I will sit with that. And it's funny because I actually sit in the dark with clients all the time. It's not necessarily, it's more proverbially um, where they'll say, I'm so sorry, I'm upset. And I'm like, we're going to sit here. I am never going to tell you to stop because you're feeling the pain. And when you feel it, you get through it. And that is powerful to come around the desk and sit next to somebody and just be there for them. Mm-hmm. That's huge. That yeah. to me, that is leadership. And I applaud that. That's awesome. So you probably have some good success stories. Some of your clients, any you oh, want to share? Goodness. Well, one of my favorites has actually been on your podcast. Okay. Um, his name is Zach and he is very much a proponent of everything I do and sure. loves. He's actually been on my podcast as well. And, I will never forget the conversation that we had. Um, (laughs) He's going to laugh when he hears this. (laughs) He, when he started my program, uh, we, we talked, we met through LinkedIn. He was telling me about where he was and where he'd like to be, but he kept kind of stepping back and saying, but that's probably not possible. And I'm like, what, what, why do you think this is impossible? Why do you think that? And he's like, I just, I don't know. It was almost like success was for everyone else, even knowing he was wildly successful when we met. Um, And so I had him do an exercise. It's a dream job exercise that I have all my clients do. And he said, you know, I did the exercise, but my wife and I kind of feel like you're full of crap. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) And, but I love it. I love it. Cause I'm like, yes, I love that. That, you know, he said, my wife walked in when I was filling this out And she said, I mean, do you really think that's possible? And I said, you know what? We're in this together. Just trust the process. And he goes, you know what? Let's do it. Let's do it. Within 30 days of us working together, everything that he wrote on that paper happened. Wow. Success is for everyone. No matter how successful you've been at one company, you can create that over and over and over again and be in completely different you know, a completely different league. And he is just a testament to that. But I've had, you know, plenty of other people who've done the same thing where they came into the program unemployed, really down about, you know, a boss really tearing them down. I deal with so much PTSD around poor leadership, you know, and honestly, I probably put some of it out there when I was first leading. So I, I, I honor that, you know, those bad bosses that are really fearful uh, I think that's why there's bad leadership is just the fear of of not getting it right um, and working in environments that make it feel unsafe for, you know, creativity. But I digress. Um, it's so fun when people contact me and say, oh, my God, you were right. I'm making double what I was making before. I didn't know that was possible. And that's another piece of my course that we actually walk through, whether you work with me one-on-one or my online course is negotiating because so many people just think the offer that you get is what you should take. And, you know, that's great. I'm not saying that you should be ungrateful. I don't think you should go back to a company and say, actually, I'm looking for a million dollars in a shoe contract. Um, (laughs) nobody will ever have me sponsor their shoe. Like it's just not (laughs) happening. Um, but I do believe that there's a way of doing this in a professional way. In fact, I did this, I did it in my career very early on. And the boss, one of the great bosses that I worked with, um, came to me about a year after I was there and he was like, you were a bulldog with that. And he said, and you were worth every penny. And I was actually promoted twice in that year. And I know it was because I brought leadership to the table. And I think that's what people forget in negotiation and sharing your value with others. You're breathing confidence into people. And that's what great leadership does. 
And so I'm, I'm just really excited to see that when it happens, not once, not twice, I've worked with 2,500 people and, you know, I, the success and the letters, and I just, I'm, I'm blown away at the level of success that these people have seen, you know, entry level, all the way to C level and how they're like, your program really helped me believe again. And I'm nice. like, that's, um, that's what you I'm, do it for, right? Yes. It's just so fun to me. And I, you know, I think that's what we should all say. I'm sure you do too yeah. about what you do. I think every, every job, um, Elizabeth Gilbert says every job has a crap sandwich. Yes. And you have to decide what flavor you're willing to eat. Yes. How and, big uh, that sandwich is, how thick that sandwich is. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And I knew there were certain levels I wasn't, I wasn't willing to eat anymore, but what I eat every day is delicious. Yeah. And it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when people go in for an interview, you know, you mm -hmm. see this a lot, they're afraid, like you said, to negotiate. Mm -hmm. You're interviewing that company just as much as they're interviewing you. You I need to make sure that they fit your needs. Right. And you have to be able to ask those questions and, and, and get exactly what you want going in. Because a lot of times if you don't get something going in, it's hard mm -hmm. to get that. If, if you walk in and say, I'll take whatever you throw to me. Yeah. There's no reason for them to throw anything else to you. You know, I agree. And if you decide to stay at that company for 10 years, every single salary increase is based on that original number. Right. So if you don't go for the moon, shoot for the moon, you know, at the beginning, then you're not going to get anything. But I do want to correct something that you said, because okay. you said in the interview, mm -hmm. while I do believe the interview is the chance to vet that company, not just to like the Google search of best companies to work for, because right. we all know those can be fixed and, you know, different things like that. Sure. I'm not saying that there aren't great places to work that you could find. But what about that person sitting across from you? What if they're not the greatest boss and you mm -hmm. happen to be sitting at, I don't know, Google, somewhere that everybody talks about as being this amazing place to work, but they didn't work for Jim, you know, and Jim is not really, uh, somehow he got in there, right? And you are reporting to Jim. And if Jim sucks, then Google sucks, right? Mm -hmm. So I love that you said that. But what I want to say, I believe negotiation happens once the offer is given to you. I do not believe money should be talked about before no, that. No, not at all. It entered into the conversation way too early. For instance, if I said to you, Harlan, like, hi, Harlan, I'm Emily. And to work with me is $7,000. And that's like the first thing out of my mouth. Right. You really don't want to talk to me anymore, right? That's right. so the earlier money is discussed, actually, the less likely you're going to get money. So wait for them to bring it up. Let mm -hmm. them put the offer out there and then negotiate from there. Absolutely. No, that's a good point. Absolutely. Good point. And one of the questions I like to ask um, when I was being interviewed, um, I like to ask the person, how long have you been with the company and what made you stay? Mm -hmm. That's a great question to ask. Yeah. And you know, it's always if, interesting. Yeah, it's always, if they, if they come back, first of all, if they can't come up with a reason, <laughs> maybe you have some other questions you want to ask, but if they come up and say, these are the things I love about it, they're telling you from the heart, this is why, you know, I've, I've been loyal to this company. And I think that's important. I also think reading body language is important. So they might have this great textbook answer, but if the light has died in their eyes, mm. then make sure you're cognizant of that, right? You know, that they're oh, clearly going over some spiel that they don't actually feel yes. anymore. You should be able to feel that energy when you're interviewing people. Absolutely. Um, and you brought up um, process engineering. You like process. Yeah. Was that process. from, <laughs> well, I, it's huge though. I mean, a lot of businesses, I work with small to mid-sized companies. A lot of times they don't have processes in place. They do things the way they've always done them. This is just the way we do it. And if things get off track, well, we just kind of make it up as we go along and there's no repetition. There's no, you know, scalability or anything like that. How did you get involved in processes? Was this back from the logistics? Yes. So I had, I had the Simon Cowell of logistics teachers. He actually worked for, I was really, really fortunate. Um, University of Tennessee is one of the premier schools to have supply chain. Uh, and the reason is, is because most of the professors have been in the industry, whether it's air, sea, you know, uh, trucking or um, rail, you know, all the different facets uh, for some cases, 20 to 25 years, and then they come back to teaching. 
And that was such an invaluable experience. There was this one teacher, Bart Jennings, I will never forget him, Dr. Jennings. And he had us put together, um, we each for the semester had a different project. So there were groups of us and each of us had a different project. And the first group that went, oh, bless their hearts, he just ripped them to shreds. Um, and it was a, a, slide sh- a slide share of what you were doing and then, you know, talk through questions. And we had no idea that he was just going to be like mm-hmm. the COO of a company and just rip us to shreds. So my group was like in the middle. So we saw the first couple of groups basically die, you know, mm-hmm. and we thought this cannot be us. And our project happened to be on benchmarking. And I'm talking about this here because benchmarking is huge and we should all do it. And benchmarking is key because you shouldn't reinvent the wheel. Great people are doing great things. And honestly, you can even benchmark your own company. You know, what are we doing right now? Okay, now we have a benchmark. We have a level of what we're doing. And now how are we going to improve that? And that project you know, it was really interesting. We stayed up for two days. I didn't sleep for two days putting this thing together. And each of us had to speak because he said it was important for all of us to have a corporate presence and we had to dress corporate. And this was back when people like dress corporate But right. um, he went down the line of people and, you know, critiquing what they could have done better and all of that. And he looked at me, Simon Cal of logistics and said, you were born to do this. And I was like, well, I don't even know what to do with that. I have no idea what to do with that. And um, for years, I thought it meant I was supposed to stay and be in supply chain. But later on in my life, I realized he means I was born to improve processes. And that happens every day in so many different forms. And so that's how I originally got into it and ended up really being on the cutting edge of a lot of different cell phone movement and working for, for Singular when it existed, um, you know, AT&T Mobility now, um, I managed the Razor at one point. How old am I for even saying that? Uh, <laughs> it was a really big deal back in the day. If I said that yep. to my kids, they'd be like, I don't even know what that is. Um, but I had all these amazing opportunities in an industry, the cell phone industry, where it was like the Wild West. Hmm. And so you had to create processes. And I worked for a small startup where, you know, they were like, we'd like you to come in and, and do planning and procurement. And I was like, oh, well, how many people are in the planning and procurement department? Oh, no, you are the planning and procurement <laughs> department. Oh, okay. And so I would come up with these random ideas of why don't we do this and this? And everybody else is like, okay, I, that's what we will do now. And I'm like, oh, this is, this is a chance to really create something the way I've always wanted to. And that really kind of spurred me when I opened my own business to be able to do the same thing again and again and again, Um, because what are we without processes? You know, I just, I feel like when people have a blueprint to work from, I'm not saying that's the only blueprint, but wow, it's so much easier to, to work from a page that has information on it versus that blank sheet of paper of, I don't know. What do you want to do? Absolutely. So it's it's really a passion of mine for sure. Absolutely. You know, and a lot of businesses, like I said, they don't have their processes in place. So when things go wrong, they don't know where to look. What what went wrong? Where? What step did we miss or, or whatever? You have to have those things documented. And then if you teach everybody how to do them, it's like a recipe. If I give you the recipe and you follow the recipe, right? You end up with the same chocolate cake that I have. If they don't, what did they do? Either they followed the wrong recipe or uh, um, they messed something up, right? They didn't follow the steps like they were supposed to. They got the wrong recipe or didn't follow the steps they were supposed to. And so it's easy to go back and say, this is what we need to fix. This is where we need to get it. I think that's what's so important. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, I just think that's, uh, that's important because so many times, you know, things go wrong and they're not sure why, you know, my employees aren't as productive. Well, what are they doing? Well, how are they doing it? You know, what, what process are they following? Well, everybody kind of does it their own way. It's like, well, I, I can't help you <laughs> until we come up with a one way and then make sure everybody's doing it. Makes it repeatable, makes it scalable, you know? I love that mm. you mentioned too that you, you're not saying reinvent the wheel because I think that's what everybody thinks is that what we're doing is broken. Let's start from scratch. And to your point, when you have processes laid out, 
you can easily see where something's broken. That's one of my most favorite things to do with working with anyone is looking at that. And honestly, in a job search, it's the same because so many people have said, you know, I get to the last interview and I'm not getting the job. Can you fix my resume? Dude, the resume is not your problem. The resume gets your foot in the door and clearly that's happening for you. Something's happening in that interview that's not breathing life and possibility about you in that company. We're not going to go back to something that's working. That's great. You're comfortable there and that's why you want to work on it. But that's not where the issue lies. And, you know, sometimes shedding a light on that can be hard because they're like, well, there's something wrong with that. Nope. Mm -mm, nope. <laughs> I like to work with the the clients, you know, we'll go in and talk to them and say, who in this area, this department, who does it right? Who does it well? Who does it more efficiently than everybody? And then let's document what they do and teach everybody to do it that way. If that's your superstar, let's teach everybody to be a superstar following that process and then tweak it as you go along. I love that you said that because when I decided to reinvent my team in the corporate world, I did that in the wrong way before reinventing them. I had a rock star and I would tell everybody that that was the rock star. Don't ever do that. Uh, what I actually did when I reinvented the team was, okay, this person is the rock star at this. They're going to be the subject matter expert for all of us to learn this. And this person on the team is that. And I used to call us Captain Planet. I don't know if you ever remember that show from like the 80s and 90s oh, where yeah. These kids had these rings and every kid, it was like earth, fire, wind, water. And then they created Captain Planet and he saved things. I feel like that's a business though. That is a great organization where everybody holds a piece of the puzzle. And we always look to that guy for fire. You know, we always look for this person for wind and everybody respects everybody that way. And they lean on each other so much more. And I'll tell you, one of my greatest successes was leaving the corporate world and nothing happening. Mm -hmm. My team functioned. They were so well-oiled machine that honestly, that's one of the reasons why I left because I felt guilty taking a paycheck. Like everybody's working <laughs> fine. They don't need me here. So um, that was probably my my favorite thing was that there were no blips. Nice. Yeah. That's when you know you made an impact, right? And you mm -hmm. can walk out the door or as a business owner, take two weeks off, mm -hmm. go disappear somewhere. And if things are still running and, and operating the way you left them, you've done good. Exactly. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. So you wrote an article for the Knoxville Style Magazine, right? Yes. I Organizing did. your thoughts. Mm -hmm. Love it. Um, you talked about, you put it together, your to-do list, um, and then organizing it into a dream list. These are things that can be done in the next couple of years, your 30-day list, things that have to be done within the next 30 days, and then your action list, things that have to be done right now. And then as you accomplish things, take them off the list, shuffle things around. So you always have that action list. So you're getting things done when they need to love this. But the thing that I liked in the tips column, you talked about sacrifices. What are you willing to give up? I don't think that's something that a lot of people spend enough time thinking about. Every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to a bunch of other things. What are you willing to say no to in order to accomplish this? Mm -hmm. I absolutely love that thought because you're right. And in fact, I send out a weekly email to my team, a weekly goals email of what is expected of us. And I will also have like later projects. So back to that, you know, okay, we're not going to work on it this week. Um, but I will also say, you know, to one individual on the team, you have a lot on your list. So what are we giving up this week? Is it an item on the list, which is totally fine? Or is there something in your personal life that needs to be given up? And that's completely up to you. I'm not going to manage that. Um, but what I will say to you is I don't think that it's one thing for all of us, right? I think on a daily basis, it shifts, you know, um, you know, on a work week when my kids are in school, I'm willing to give up lunch sometimes to get something done. Other times I'm not willing to sacrifice my family for something mm -hmm that needs to be done, you know, for importance sake. So I don't like looking at something as a hard and fast rule of I'm going to give this up, but I will tell you for me back to the streamlining, I have a meal delivery service for my dinner so that I don't have to do that. I use um, daily harvest for my lunches for the okay. same factor. 
Um, I streamline everything. I make all my kids lunches on Sunday so that during the week, everything is autopilot. We just pack and go. Um, I make everything for my husband to take to work. I am, and I do all the laundry on the weekends so that during the week, the things I can't control, I'm not worried about all this noise in the background of I've got to have this, or we've got to have that. It's already done. It's already done. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm not really, I'm not really willing to sacrifice anything long-term. I, I, it's really a short-term decision on a daily basis. Yeah. Very cool. Love it. So uh, you've, you've had uh, employee teams, right? How many people did you have working for you? You were a senior manager and a director. How many yes. employees do you have? I, at that point had uh, five direct reports and dotted line around 25 because it was, I was running two warehouses in two countries. And right before I left the corporate world, I was helping uh, run the planning and procurement and get the planning and procurement up to speed in Norway, Oslo, wow. uh, Oslo, uh, which is beautiful, by the way. Oh, I wish yeah. I'd spent more time there, um, not in a warehouse, but be awesome people as well. Um, so at that point, that was the largest um, uh, operation that I'd been a part of. Now I have three employees on my team that are rock stars. I like to joke uh, in the nicest way possible that we're queen because <laughs> Uh, there's the flamboyant front person myself, but if anybody knows anything about the band Queen, some of their greatest hits came from other band members. They didn't come from the lead singer. He had Bohemian Rhapsody, sure, but We Will Rock You was one of the other guys and, you know, all the other songs. And that's what I always say is I might've created this, or I might've like come up with some of these things, but great ideas come from everywhere. And, you know, I really do believe that the three players that I have on my team, every business should have. And if you don't have them, if these are the hats you're wearing, they're really the three hats you should wear first, which are marketing, customer support and experience and data analytics. If you do not have these three people or three roles defined and the catcher is what I like to think of the data analytics. If you don't have this, then how are you bettering things? How are you you know, in growing the business and you've got to have those different viewpoints of, okay, how are we going to market this to customers? Do our customers even want this? And let's look at data. And, you know, the person that does our data analytics, her name is Erin, and she is just such a rock star. We work together in the corporate world and I knew she was capable of great things, but some of the things that she has built for us, I can have us, I can start a sentence and she will finish it with, Actually, if I look at the data, this and this and this, and I'm like, I need that. And as a business owner who is, you know, on the entrepreneurial roller coaster, having that data analytics to really say, okay, this is not an emotional decision. This is literally what we're seeing. And it's just so helpful. And so I always tell her, like, she's like my therapist in a nice way because <laughs> she keeps me sane with the data because uh, I can feel that we're one way, but the numbers tell me a different story. Nice. Very cool. So if I was to bump into any one of these folks or the 25 or so that you used to work with, if I was to bump into any one of those folks on the street and ask them about you and what kind of leader you were, what would they say? What kind of leader are you? Wow. Okay. If it was, you know, 10 years ago, they would say, wow, she has lots of problems. You do not want to work for her. <laughs> actually, it's been longer ago than that. Maybe more like 15 years ago at this point. Um, I'm kidding. Uh, actually, I know that the people that work with me and I, I don't even like the term for me because they work with me. We're always linked together without them. There is no, your life, your coach. And even my team in the corporate world, there was no planning and procurement without each individual running the accounts, running the numbers, informing me on hard decisions that, by the way, they understood how to answer themselves. So I would hope they would say, she helped me see how great I was. She helped me understand that I was so much more than I ever thought. And that's really what I hope that every person that comes in contact with me says that man, she pushed me hard. I'm blunt. I'm blunt with my clients. I'm blunt with my team, but it's always in the spirit of making the business better and the person better. Nice. And that's what leaders should do, right? Create more leaders. Yeah. That's awesome. Exactly. 
So let's talk about courage. Where did you find the courage to leave the comfort of the nine to five and kind of start your own thing? You know, it's so interesting. You know, I was looking at the four levels or four layers of courage, intellectual, moral, disciplined, empathetic. And I thought, you know, I think that it originally came from empathy because I wanted to help. I had this dream in my heart in this corporate setting. I was in the safe world where I was helping all these people, you know, live limitlessly. I was saying all these things that felt kind of fake because I wasn't living limitlessly. I was working for an organization and I was really taking a paycheck from a company that I shouldn't have been because I wasn't doing what they tasked me to do. I was like, you know, leading everybody in a completely different direction. And so my original goal was to help a hundred people. I really thought, you know, it would be really awesome to help a hundred people outside of this organization. And that just felt massive to me. And I did it within about a year and a half, like, you know, 18 months. And I thought, well, that wasn't big enough. I wasn't dreaming big enough. <laughs> and what I realized from there was that's where the discipline kicked in because I knew I needed to help more people. And I'm, I, after 2,500, I'm just getting warmed up. You know, there's so many more things that I feel like we can change. And when I say we, it's those 2,500 people plus the hundreds of thousands of people yet to experience this. Because if all of us band together, if all of us, you know, decide to put in our life what we love and put it in our work every day, think about the businesses we will create. Think about the opportunities that come up. We just live this beautiful life rather than, you know, being mad all the time or on anxiety medicine. And I can say that because that was me at one point in my life because I wasn't living that purpose. And so it definitely started from an empathetic place. But at this point, it's a disciplined place because I have heard no so much that when I hear yes, I'm like, wait, really? I don't I don't know what to do with that. So um, I had a, an idea of, you know, putting a webinar together. I thought that that would be really important for people to see. And the first one I put together, I didn't realize was a warm audience of people. And I had 25 people join my course. And I was like, man, I'm so good at this. I know what I'm doing. So I said, you know what, though, I, I really need to get this better. So the next year, which happened to be the next year that I was challenging myself on was 2020. I'm going to live launch every month. Live launching is intense anyway. Mm. And the first month I got nine people and it was horrible. I didn't cover my ad costs. And February, very similar. March, very similar. And then the pandemic hit. And I was like, man, you know, if you're a spiritual person or not, you know, man in the sky, I don't know what's going on here. Uh, I don't know what you're doing, what you're putting in my life. Um, but I thought, I mean, if, if not now, when? And April of 2020 was when the online course really skyrocketed. And logically that made no sense, but it was because of month over month when the success didn't come back to your processes point, what's broken because it wasn't always the same thing. And so month over month, I was fixing another piece. And then April was when the stars aligned. And then every month since I've doubled it. Nice. So it's just, it's been amazing, but it's, you've got to be disciplined, Good. but you've got to have, you know, a something that you are willing to beat the drum for until the day you die. And I would say people living their purpose is what I was put on this earth to do, to help people find that and live it and own it so that awesome. they can share it with other people. Awesome. Very cool. So empathetic courage, disciplined courage. Is there a type of courage that maybe comes easier for you? It's definitely discipline. I'm just a disciplined person. And when I first started managing people, that was what I figured out. I thought everyone operated like I do, and clearly they don't. Um, I had one person tell me I was a slave driver. Woo, okay, sorry. I'm a little, I'm a little <laughs> disciplined. Um, but what I find is it's comforting mm -hmm. to to have a, a, you know, what are we doing? How are we building? How are we growing? Um, so I naturally am just that disciplined person. It's just literally, my mom is like this. I know exactly where I got it from. Um, she was the vice president, um, AVP of rehabilitation services, 
it was over 500 people. The woman, she can't sit down, always leading, always driving. So I get it from her in such a beautiful way. Um, so yeah, that's definitely my number one thing. Awesome. Is there a type of courage that maybe is a little more difficult? Intellectual. Oh my gosh. I am not that smart. <laughs> I am really not. And actually I heard um, John Maxwell speak and it was about four years ago. And this really made me realize that actually I am smart. I just didn't understand that there were two levels of smart. Um, so he talked about smart thinkers and sustained thinkers. And so a smart thinker is what I always have judged myself against. They're the ones in a meeting where the boss comes in and says, we're going to make some changes and we're doing this. And they're sitting in the front and they're asking questions and they have great questions. And you're like, how did you think of that so fast? Yeah. My brain is just trying to like grab everything. But then the next day you're in the shower and you're like, oh my gosh, what about blah, blah, blah. You know, you have like 17 thoughts and you go to work and you share it. And everybody's like, and this actually happened once where I felt like I was asking something really dumb. And it was two days after a conversation and everybody's like, we got to put the project on hold. We didn't even think about that. Mm. And that in that seeing that John Maxwell, seeing him speak, which if anybody gets the opportunity, is just amazing. I realized, oh my gosh, I really am smart. I just, I'm a sustained thinker. I'm somebody that thinks over time and I chew on an idea and a smart thinker, somebody who leaves that meeting and is on to something else. They are not continuously thinking about that. They are done. They're more shiny bobble, you know, mm -hmm. But you really need both. That's yes. the other thing is you really need that person asking those great questions so that the sustained thinker has something to chew on. Um, so I would say that over the years, I've realized I am smart, but right. intellectual, I wouldn't, I would never lead with that, if you will. So <laughs> no, definitely, definitely you are smart. So what's next? I mean, you've, you've done a lot, you've accomplished a lot, mm -hmm. you've helped a lot of people. What's, what's next for you? Wow, that's so interesting. So I'm I'm still growing my course, Market Me, which is, you know, to help people find what they love in their life and put it in their work where we work through their resume and their interview skills and their negotiation tactics. Uh, also, you know, amplifying LinkedIn, the greatest search engine for job searches. Um, so I that is something that I'm passionate about because when I started my business, people are like, I got to get out of this bad job. And so that's great doing that, all about that. Um, but I have a couple of things coming up. One in particular is taking those people that are now successful in terms of, I got the job, now help me not mess it up. You know, Let yeah. me make sure that I'm making the right connections and that I'm not recreating history from the bad bosses and the bad voices in the back of my head. And so I'm working with several clients in that regard. Um, it's something I like to call leader shift, where we're nice. shifting our mindset from doer to leader, which mm -hmm. everybody can do. Even if you're, you know, the janitor or the CEO, everyone's a leader in their own way and using some of these tools will get you there. And nice. it's basically sharing how I turned my team around in the corporate world. I'm sharing all those tools. Um, but then also I've had people say, well, how did you figure out your business? How did you hire your people? And I actually have, because I'm, I'm so passionate about cloud working and everything we do in our team is cloud or a virtual team that I have an online training just for my team. And I realized after several people asking me about, well, how did you know how to hire and who did you hire and why did you do it? And what, where did you build this and that and the other? I have started offering my, my training, my team internal training to other people that want to open their own business nice. to see all the right tools and the people they need, whether they are all, all of those people is totally fine, but just what they need in order to grow. Um, nice. And so there's that piece of it. Cause I, I really want to make sure I'm meeting people where they are and not everybody's unhappy in their job. Some hmm. people want to grow where they are and that's the leadership world. And then some people want to create something different. They want to be an entrepreneur as well. And I believe that everyone that, that has that God-given ability should be able to do it without some of the heartache that I had to go through because I didn't understand what I was doing at first. So awesome. Very cool. Good stuff. Emily, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for, uh, for sharing with us. If people want to get in touch with you, how can they find you? What's your website? 
So it's Emily Hawkins, the number four, the letter U. Um, you can actually find me on any social media, Emily Hawkins, the number four, the letter U as well. Um, Emily Hawkins was taken on everything. And so my favorite number is four. And then I just liked the U because it was a nice little sure. play on things. And so I'm Emily Hawkins for you, all one word, the four, the letter four, the, the uh, sorry, the number four, the letter U on all social platforms, LinkedIn. I'm very active over there, uh, but that is my website as well. And I have a podcast that you can find on that website. Yeah. What's the your Leadership. podcast? It's the Leadership Playbook. Leadership, nice. Yeah. And it's a mixture of tools to get yourself ready for the job market along with leadership skills. So it's, it's kind of the, the mixture of all the things. Awesome. And you have your online stuff still going on now? Yes, I do. You can actually join the wait list on there. Um, if you go to my website at the very top of the page, you get the opportunity to join the wait list for the next course. Um, we'll be launching soon. Very cool. Well, I hope people go out there and, and do that. Get on the wait list. Um, Emily, again, thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for being here today. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. Absolutely. I enjoyed it very much. No, it was very good. And folks, I hope you guys uh, enjoyed this podcast. Hope you guys were taking notes because there's a lot of good takeaways from here. Um, and if you did like the podcast, make sure you share it with your family, friends, and colleagues and stick around because there's always more coming. And that's it for me, Coach Harlan saying so long for now. 